Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. The latest instalment of the biggest rivalry in world football is coming our way this weekend when Barcelona and Real Madrid meet in a fixture they call El Clasico. I'm Dan Burke and to preview the game I'm joined by three very special guests from Football España. It's Alan Vahili, Fergal Brennan and Jamie Kemble. Uh, welcome to the podcast guys, very pleased to have you here. Uh, I thought we'd start by by you all kind of uh, introducing yourself to the listeners, tell them a bit about yourself and, and how you all came to have jobs covering Spanish football. Um, I'll start with you Alan because I understand you're, you're based out in Rio, right? Yeah, I am. I came to Brazil um, a couple of months ago, just on a couple of uh, a bit of an expedition, you could say, in terms of different projects going on here. Um, but I have lived in Spain for the last year or so. I was in Seville, in the south of Spain, the Andalusian capital. And I also spent time in Lisbon as well. Um, like, my interest is really world football, I guess you could say. But Spanish football is something that I've kind of developed a good relationship with over the years. And that's where the majority of my work comes from, you know. And... Um, yeah, it's not the best time to be in Spanish football because it's the the league is getting a bit weaker, you could say, and all that kind of thing. But I think the culture of the football there is still strong enough that there's a lot of intrigue, and none more so than that Clásico this weekend. You know, neither side are at their peak, you could say, but there's still lots to play for, and, and that's why we love the game so much. You know, lots on the line. Indeed. Yeah. How about you, Fergal? Uh, I'm not as boots on the ground as Alan, so I work for Football Espana, but I'm, I'm based in the UK. Um, I suppose my kind of background in <clears throat> in covering La Liga comes from Sunday nights of just watching it and realising how for, for so many years the Premier League was was pretty rubbish. It's obviously improved <laughs> a bit in the last couple of years, but years and years of kind of parroting on to people about how good Spanish football was slash is. Um, so that kind of got me into it. And I've been working for Football Espana now for about four or five years. Um, I'm normally the weekend guy. Um, um, scrabbling around, putting videos and stuff together on on the big matches, and obviously, as Alan said, they don't really come much bigger than this weekend. Although maybe a tiny bit of the sheen's been taken off it, but El Clasico is is still El Clasico. Indeed, and and Jamie, you're over in Spain, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I live in Denia, uh, the Valencian region, just down the coast. Um, I, I joined the Spa- football of Spain uh, more recently than than the two guys here. Um, I, I've followed Spanish football for a long time. Villarreal fans who have got into it a long time ago and, and like Fergal just followed it and loved, loved the way the game is played in Spain, loved the culture surrounded it and I moved to Spain earlier this year with, with my wife. Lovely stuff. Well, on to El Clasico then and, and the first question I want to ask you all, you, you alluded to it there a little bit, Fergal, is, is does this fixture still have the same allure in a world where Lionel Messi no longer plays for Barca? Um I think it does, particularly domestically, particularly within Spain. Um, so much of the fanfare surrounding El Clasico, it's almost like the Super Bowl within Spain. The build-up, the media trash talk, the press conferences, there's always a massive, massive amount of attention uh, surrounding it. Obviously, no Messi and, of course, no no Sergio Ramos for Real Madrid. Changes the dynamic of it slightly in terms of an international appeal. Um, it's probably not helped this weekend by being right in the middle of a massive weekend of other games across Europe. Obviously, Manchester United against Liverpool as well in in the Premier League. But what I think and what I hope this weekend will be is actually a, a bit of a gateway, a bit of a nudging open of the door towards the next stage of stars in the El Clasico game. And, and when you look at these two teams, there is so much exciting young talent on both sides. There's been a lot of talk about Barcelona with obviously Pedri, who's been incredible, but now we've got Gavi breaking through, Ansu Fati, who thankfully has made a brilliant return um, from his injury at the start of this season. And then for Real Madrid, who are not normally necessarily known for developing young players, they normally buy them, but 
any which way but loose. They do have some really exciting young players. Benithius and Rod, uh, Rodrigo are starting to click, obviously learning off the best there is to learn off in Spanish football in, in Karen Benzema. And then Eduardo Carmavinga, who's come in, and in terms of midfield prospects in European football right now, he's right up there with the best of them. So no, there's no messy, big name, big billboard name ahead of this game. But hopefully this will be a pathway to inevitably what will be the next stage of, uh, of El Clasico. Mm, I was going to ask about Anzu Fati, actually. Obviously, he, he signed a new contract at Camp Nou this week. Um, uh, Alan, do, do you think he, he's genuinely the, the heir to Messi's throne? And is there a worry that maybe too much pressure is being piled onto his young shoulders at the moment? Well, too much pressure definitely is being piled onto his shoulders. I mean, I think it's unfair to say anybody is the heir to Messi's throne because Lila Messi is a, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of player, uh, once-in-a-century a kind of player. You know, he's, he's a phenomenon. Like, and for a young 18-year-old who's just coming out of a year out injured where he had four operations, like, that's a big, you know... Big, big debt to pay, you could say, to kind of come in and try and mm. replicate that. The thing for Anzu is that he's as mentally strong as he's technically good. Um, like he took the number 10 shirt from Messi and didn't sweat it. You know, he, he wasn't overawed by it. He just kind of said, no, it's not a pressure to take this number. It's actually just a joy. It's an honor, you know, because he backs himself. He believes in himself. And the way he's come back since his injury, it's been phenomenal. I mean, everyone, including myself, was worried that he would be, you know, maybe a bit more careful the way he played he wouldn't have the same explosiveness the same fearlessness that that kind of you know marked his early form for Barcelona when he came through as a 16 year old but he's so far had that he's been unafraid to run up players he's taking shots from distance um you know scoring goals delivering assists I mean even on Sunday evening or sorry Wednesday evening's game against Dynamo Kiev there was a moment where he basically had an open goal, and if he had passed it to Sergio Busquets, or I think it was Memphis Depay, it would have been a guaranteed goal. It would have been 2-0 to Barcelona. And instead, he went for an overhead kick, and he missed. And the two players weren't very pleased with him, you know, but it just shows the kind of the playfulness with the approaches of the game. And that's a very big thing, because the air at Barcelona right now is so heavy, so kind of pesado, as they say in Spanish, that to have a young player like that who plays with no fear is a real boon for the club and for the fans. Um, but at the same time, I think the danger will come if he goes into a dry run and he's not scoring regularly um, and then pressure will begin to mount. But so far, he's avoided that, you know. Yeah. Well, on the Real Madrid side, there's, of course, Karim Benzema, who's been in incredible form for quite a while now. Jamie, do you think he's he's the main man Real Madrid are going to be leaning on this weekend? Yeah, I think when Benzema is involved, it's always, always the man you look to to score those goals. Obviously, his best scoring season of his career last season and the Ballon d'Or shouts of have fallen as well. But I actually think that Vinicius Junior has got a bigger part to play in this game. He's been brilliant so far this season, scored seven times, assisted five in just 11 appearances. He's found that killer touch, he's found that directness and that final product that he was lacking uh, for so long at Real Madrid, although that is perhaps unfair given given his youth and his age. He's still a young player, still 21. Um, Barcelona have been a little bit unsure at right back. They've been chopped and changed between Oscar Mingueza's played there, Sergio Roberto's played there, now it's Sergio Des is playing high up the pitch. And that gives Vinicius a real chance to have some fun, I think. And I think this game will be decided on the wings. You look at the other side as well. Rodrigo scored during the week. He looked good against Shakhtar Donetsk. And then your Diablo looks like he's going to miss out at left back. So I think there's fun to be had on those, on those wings for Real Madrid. And obviously Benzema speaks for himself. But if he can bring those wingers into the game, as he so often does, I think that Real Madrid will be really, really dangerous down those flanks. 
Mm. We'll talk more about some of the players who could have an impact shortly. But first, I want to ask you about the the state of play with both both clubs going into this game. I mean, from the outside looking in, it it always seems to me like Spanish football is in a constant state of chaos. There's always legal wrangling and boardroom turbulence, and, and nowhere has that been more the case recently than at Barcelona. I guess you could say this is a pretty broad question, Fergal. But but what the hell is going on at Barcelona at the moment? I mean, that could fill a, a fill a podcast on its own in, in terms of the issues <laughs> that have been going on. You're right. This kind of spectre of that there's always a crisis or they're, they're just one game away from disaster and, and for me Ronald Koeman's Ronald Koeman is the, the embodiment of that he looks he looks haunted whether he's on the touchline at a game whether it's a press conference or whatever um, in terms of the position at the club financial issues are still the main thing fans are unhappy there was the, the meeting last week where fans were really really vocal in voicing their objections to so many things right the way across the board I think the Lionel Messi situation in the summer has been highlighted as an example of fan anger, but really it was just peeling the the top off the can in terms of these issues that fans have had with the financial running of the club, with the logistical running of the club, with the structure in terms of memberships and voting and, and all these types of things. So much of that is downplayed because Messi is always such a headline act and him leaving and the emotion behind his press conference when he departed and eventually went to, to PSG got a lot of focus from that. Um, I think the big focus for, for Kuman and, and Johan Laporta now is obviously to fix the books, which they tried to do in the summer and offload players to reduce that bloated wage bill and try to bring them back into, into positive credit. That didn't happen. I still think that is going to be the focus, but Johan Laporta is also under some, some pressure as well because his big election promise was retaining Messi. He's failed quote in that regard to keep Messi at Barcelona but on top of that he's quite a showman uh, he treated it almost like a, a US presidential style election campaign when he, when he wanted to get back into office and he knows that because he presents himself in that way he needs to deliver with a big sign in either in January or next summer but based on the financial situation of Barcelona he right here and now is not in a position to do that so Koeman is under the most immediate pressure but Laporta is going to come under growing pressure from behind the scenes in the club because his big ticket was I'm not Bartomeu of which fans kind of gave him a little bit of time to say yeah okay you're not but what have you actually changed what have you actually improved and fans are really angry that the development has not been what was promised by Laporta during his election campaign. Yeah, I mean, there was some talk as recently as yesterday that that Barca are hoping to join the race for killing Mbappe next summer. I mean, Alan, is, is there any truth to rumours like that or is it just pure conjecture when, whenever they're, they're linked to a big player at the moment? Well, Dan, it's kind of hard to tell because Barcelona seems to be a club that's capable of anything, to be honest. Like, I mean, like Fergal's right there in a state of transition. And I know that's a phrase that gets bandied about too much, in my opinion. I think a lot of clubs are in a state of transition. Like, I'm an Evertonian. They've been in a state of transition since 1987, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, in, in Barcelona's case, it's genuinely true because Kumin is only a placeholder. That's all he is. He's not a coach. And to be honest, I think Carlo Ancelotti is in a similar position. Like, neither of them are the man who will inspire hope and ambition in the club supporters. They're there because of the circumstances. Um, Madrid were caught kind of unawares by Zidane's decision to leave the way he did. And lacking the financial clout to go after a real heavy hitter, a Thomas Tuchel or somebody of that ilk, they had to go for an old hand in Carleto, somebody who's, you know, in previous jobs that hasn't been in the elites, Napoli with Everton, those kind of tiered of clubs. Um, and, you know, is it old hand, he knows what he's doing, he can inspire calmness and tranquility within the, the kind of, you know, internal of the club, but he isn't going to light the world on fire. 
um, and Kumin is the same situation. So what they're all about, basically, at the moment, Barcelona, as Fergal said, uh, Dan, is trying to get rid of the deadwood, get rid of the likes of, you know, Samuel Amtiti, you know, Clement Langley, you could say, Antoine Griezmann is gone, um, Elish Mreba has been moved on because he wasn't heeding to the financial line, while at the same time renewing the contracts of some um, promising young players like Anzu Fati is done, Pedro Fat- Pedri is done, uh, Gavi is close to being done. The, the Mbappe link is interesting. I mean, like I would say it's highly unlikely because he seems to be determined to join Real Madrid. And they've basically budgeted so much of um, the last few years towards signing him. And until he comes, I would argue, Madrid aren't going to be Madrid. Madrid at the moment are missing that marquee kind of, you know, signing, the young player who's going to lead him into the next decade. Karim Benzema is possibly, alongside Mo Salah, the best player in world football right now. He's in phenomenal form, but he's 33 years of age, you know. And even though footballers are being able to perform better into the late 30s at the moment, given the advances of sports science, you can't expect him to carry a team. If he got injured, they would be missing goals badly, you know. I mean, Vinicius is a very interesting player, and I think that he's got potential. But I still don't, I'm not sure that he has that killer mentality that you need to be a top, top class player. Um, I mean, against Shakhtar, obviously, he was very good. But if you watched closely, Benzema was involved in all those goals. And he actually got man of the match. You know, he was phenomenal. And the Shakhtar defence were, they were like statues, you know. So if Vinicius can do it when the chips are down in the big moments, I mean, he's done it before. He scored in a classical. He scored against Liverpool in the Champions League. But if you can do it consistently, which you've yet to see from him from a consistent season, um, that would be interesting. But sorry for the, the rambling uh, response. But just on Mbappe, I think that that's highly unlikely because I think he's earmarked for Madrid. I think the interesting thing with Barcelona in that position, that kind of you know left-sided attacker, you could say, um, is currently Usman Dembele. I think that if he doesn't renew his contract with the club this season, he'll be moved on in January, perhaps. And then they could go for somebody like Raheem Sterling, I would say is more likely. I think that uh, Mbappe is a bit too rich for their blood at the moment. Yeah, Raheem Sterling on loan seems like one that, that might happen, doesn't it? Um, I want to talk a little bit about about Koeman. I, I've had a, I'll let you in into a little secret. I've had I've had a, an article saved in my WordPress drafts for about a month now titled Barcelona sack Ronald Koeman. I mean, I, th- I thought he was a goner after that defeat to Benfica in the Champions League, but he's still there somehow. I mean, Jamie, would you say there's been a marked improvement in Bar- Barcelona in the last few weeks under him? Uh, I won't go that far, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I thought they were pretty good against Valencia. I thought it was a, it was a, a major performance. Valencia performed very well in that game. It's a, a dubious penalty decision, perhaps. Um, but generally, a, a, a good performance against a team that have performed well this season in Valencia. Um, but then against Dynamo Kiev, you know, they just lot. They took a, they took a relatively early lead and just completely went downhill second half and just didn't have. No bite about them, no sort of appetite to go and go and kill the game off. The, the sort of appetite that Real Madrid showed against Shakhtar during the week, um, and that and that's that's the thing. You know, it's that lack of hunger. And the thing with Coleman, you know, he's just spent so much of the season sort of crying about the situation and why Barcelona, you know, he shouldn't be expected to challenge for the title and a top four finish would be a good finish and all this rubbish, you know. And, Barcelona, a club founded on dream, as is yeah, this is a successful club that was always punched, punched at its weight, not above its weight. It's of course a huge club, but you know, if you just, it's not going to, it's not going to stick with Barcelona fans who want success regardless of the circumstances surrounding the club. And in those circumstances, um, 
excuse me, Barcelona needed someone to take lead, to be a leader, um, to have a measured head and, and, and lead the club, even during these difficult times and, and say, you know what, we can, we've got a decent squad here. We'll do, we'll do our best. We can go and achieve something. And it's a, it's a decent squad. Don't take that away. You know, they've had injury problems, but it's a very decent squad. Still one capable of being in, in the top three, especially given the, the poor results other teams have had this season. And that's shown. We only need two points behind Real Madrid going into this game. Um, and we've had a change of heart. I think someone's had a word behind the scenes because all we hear was that, oh, top four finish will be good. And then after the international break, it's been, yeah, we can challenge for the title. So I think it's, someone's kind of said to Coleman, listen, this, you can't, you've got to give some hope. And I think uh, <laughs> he, he seems to have started to do that, which probably helped him. The two wins have definitely helped him. They absolutely had to win in the week in the Champions League. It's the worst ever start in the Champions League uh, before that game. And obviously the win against Valencia was a was an important one as well. And they go into this game, two points behind Real Madrid. It's going to be difficult for them, definitely. But I think the results elsewhere have definitely helped them to stay in the race. And, and going into this game, like I said, there's still everything to play for. They're by no means cut adrift. Uh, and that's really helped Coleman. You know, if he was 15 points behind, I think probably would have gone by now and with in many other eras, he probably would have gone by now, but the circumstances aren't great. He is right about that, and he's still here going into this class goal. Just to kind of build on Jamie's point, I agree with him completely. Um, I think that like Barcelona don't have as bad a squad as Koeman is making out. Like it's, it's a joke, really, the way he's 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 kind of built this constructed constructed this narrative over the course of the season. Because for me, the post Messi era has a chance for Barcelona to go back to the root and branch, the basics, to build on La Masia, to say okay. We don't have the same spending power of other clubs, but we have La Masia. We have this identity that we can build upon and we can use to, it's like a, you know, it's like a synergy. It's like a differentiating factor. But instead he's brought in Luke de Jong, who was the third choice striker at Sevilla at the beginning of the season. And he's changed the style of football where he's focused more on crossing. He's focused more on getting the ball from back to front. It's, it's quite remarkable. All the while he's built this negative narrative in the media uh, that's just created this horrendous environment at the club at the moment where you know there's like 45,000 people turn up for a must-win Champions League game against Dynamo Kiev and tickets are still on sale for the Classic on Sunday. I mean, the environment around Barcelona, the, the narrative around the club is the worst I can ever remember in all my years following football, to be honest with you, at that club. And like, if you look at the title race, like I said, um, Real Madrid are they're a strong, competent side. They aren't setting the world alight, but they're they're going to be there thereabouts this season. Atletico Madrid are also very, very strong. I would argue they're the favourites this year to retain the title, given the way things stand. Real Sociedad are a very good side. Um, whether they have the consistency to maintain the title challenge is yet to be seen. And then you've the likes of Sevilla and Villarreal, who are very competent, very strong sides in their own right. But the thing that those sides have in common that Barcelona don't is that all those sides are in unison. They're singing from the same hinge sheet, they're on board. Whereas Barcelona, as you mentioned earlier, are a state of complete chaos, you know? So I think it's something that could have been avoided because I think if you look man for man, their 11 man starting 11 is well able to fight for La Liga. But it's the narrative, it's the environment that's killing them. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the ticket sales actually because I was going to ask about that about the, the the why the biggest game of the season hasn't sold out yet. Fergal, do you think Barca are sort of uh, missing out on a, a kind of tourist element that that maybe they had in the old days of of Messi being there at the moment? 
Potentially, but I mean, we're still we're still operating in with the context of post COVID or semi post COVID mm-hmm. in terms of those things. I'm not I'm not letting Barcelona off the hook in that sense. Yeah, as I <clears throat> as I mentioned in my point before about the kind of changing dynamic of it, the appeal in terms of a global appeal where you can just have the name Lionel Messi and that will instantly appeal to an international audience and, and bring in fans to the Camp Nou and obviously. Uh, television figures will rocket globally um, because people will want to watch the best player on the planet in, in Lionel Messi. But again, I just think in, in terms of kind of what Alan said about the, this going back to basics and building from La Masia and building that pathway into the first team, I actually think that <clears throat> the contracts for Fati and for Pedri and, and possibly Gavi in the coming weeks and months all demonstrate that Barcelona are very, very quickly planning for life without Ronald Koeman. Ronald Koeman will not be given the chance to manage the most promising group of youngsters to come through that academy in over a decade. He just won't. They are more important to Barcelona Football Club. Ronald Koeman's deal is up at the end of the season. Absolutely nobody's calling him in for a quick chat, but they are definitely getting Fatty in and Gavi in and their representatives in to get their contracts sorted because they are the future of the club. Ronald Koeman isn't. And I think... To go back to your point about missing a maybe a wider international fan element, I think that's part of it because they know that if you're not as invested in Barcelona, if you're not a, a Barcelona fan, if you're a sporadic La Liga fan, or maybe you only watch El Clasico uh, when it rolls around twice a season, if there isn't that almost guarantee of glamour, that guarantee of international stars, then you might not not watch it but you might not be necessarily as enthused whereas in reality in two three years time we could be talking about a position where Barcelona have the best players in the world because Messi Ronaldo may have finished their careers may have retired and hopefully fingers crossed the the Pedris the Gavis the Fatis Rodrigo Camavinga on the other side will have stepped up to become that that next mm. generation and potentially even Kylian Mbappe if he uh, if he joins Real Madrid this summer which I agree with Alan I, I think he's absolutely dead set on doing yeah yeah what about Real Madrid Jamie I mean they, they haven't played in the Liga since they lost to Espanyol on, on 3rd of October but they're still second they, they won 5-0 at Shakhtar in the week are they looking good under Can- Carlo Ancelotti would you say uh, mixed reviews so far I quite like this kind of style that Ancelotti brings kind of 4-3-3, wingers bombing. I, I like that kind of style, but uh, defensively they've struggled and, and they've had defend, they've had injury issues as well, which have which have really cost them. Marcelo um, got plenty of injury issues. Ferran Mandi's only just returned. Uh, Danny Carvajal is is a walking sick note, um, and so those those defensive issues that they've had this forced them to play Alaba on on the on the flank rather than central early on in the season, chopping and changing between. The four players they play, they just just hasn't helped them. Ancelotti said ahead of this game, he was asked about the keys, the keys to winning this game, and he and he just simply said, "We've got, we just got to defend so much better." And and that and that's it. You know, I don't think there are that many concerns going forward. You know, Vinicius is in form, Rodrigo's doing well. Okay, Aiden Hazard is 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 Aiden Hazard at the moment, and Karim Benzema, of course, is is just his brilliant self. The midfield as well takes care of itself. That tr- tried and trusted. Trio that they have is just is flawless, one of the best in the world. So, and even Courtois, Courtois is a brilliant keeper as well. So it's pretty obvious to see that defensive issues are their problem. And like I said, they haven't been helped by injuries. But I think now that they've got a, a more settled back four. Phil Mendy's back now. Carvajal looks like he's come back into the fray ahead of this week. Who knows how long he lasts? Um, and then you've got a settled back back to back centre back partnership between Eden Mertel and David Alaba. So I think. We will sort of see them improve defensively and given the form of the midfield, 
the forwards and the goalkeeper as well. I think I think this this picture will come together pretty quickly for Ancelotti from here on in. Yeah, is it fair to say, Alan, that the the political situation is a bit calmer at Real Madrid than at, than at Barcelona? I mean, when when Florentino Perez isn't trying to start a Super League anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the thing is, like at Madrid, they have kind of an us against the world mentality in many ways because while the Super League plan sparked uproar in England specifically. It wasn't the case in Spain. There's a lot more openness to it in Spain, above all in Real Madrid. You know, I think they realised mm. the the strength of the Premier League, and that's only going to increase with the Saudi money at Newcastle at the moment. You know, and they realised the economic might of these clubs and these state-backed clubs like PSG as well. So they're open to the idea more so than um, English clubs were, uh, or English supporters were, should I say? Mm. But the thing at Madrid at the moment is that you know Florentino Perez is just a highly competent. Man. Super League slightly be showed his arrogance, you could say. But I think that if you look at Madrid's numbers financially over the pandemic, they've been extremely intelligent the way they managed it. And for that reason, they were able to bring in Camavinga this summer. They were able to go for Mbappe the way they did. Um, and I would imagine next summer they'll bring him in. Uh, and then who knows, maybe Erling, uh, Erling Haaland could become part of the package as well. That's probably <laughs> a little less likely given the recent interest in him from City and PSG. and the like but uh and yeah i mean the reason they brought in Ancelotti as i said earlier is because he's very close with Martino Perez he's he's kind of he's going to take what he's given he's not going to complain about what he's given you know in the way that somebody like Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola would um but then yeah. at the same time the flip side of that coin is that Carlo Carletto isn't a coach who can create a team that's more than the sum of their parts the way a transformative coach like Guardiola or Klopp or you know, even a youngster like Eric Ten Hag could do. You know, he's a coach who gets the best out of the players he has, but he's never going to turn a team into a serial title-winning behemoth. You know, and I think Madrid know that, and he's there to hold the tide, much like Koeman yeah. is in a much different sense. And that's why he's come back. You know, and that's why there's a bit of a lack of excitement around Madrid this, this season, a bit of a lack of certainty, a bit of a lack of the usual confidence they have because they realize they're in transition until Mbappe comes in, until the pandemic is completely over, and then they can kind of build again. But I think that there's parallels with, you know, I, I always say with, with Koeman, you can say the same with Ancelotti as well. It's kind of like Koeman is to, to Barcelona what um, Frank Lampard was to Chelsea and what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should have been to Manchester United. A club legend who's known to the fans, who comes in at a time of crisis or at a time of uncertainty, steadies the ship, improves them a little bit or gets them back on track and then allows a proper professional to come in and take them to the next level. And I think obviously both United and Barcelona are yet to fulfil in that deal and for Chelsea it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back to Sunday's game now. I want to look at a, a few of the players who, who might have a big part to play this weekend. The first is, we've mentioned him a bit already, Vinicius Jr., who's who's got seven goals in all competitions this season. Fergal, does he look to you like he's kind of gone up a level this season? Is this his breakout year? Are we calling it that? Yes and no. I I probably find myself sitting on the fence in between the, the two lads in, in what they've said about him. I'd agree with Jamie in this idea that we've seen a step up in his consistency and the fact that obviously he's learning and benefiting from from playing with Benzema. And he has found that that coolness, that deadliness in front of goal. He, he had so much pace in behind that he could feed off Benzema. We know that if you get the ball to feet and he gets one on one with a fullback, he's got the ability to just destroy them. But there were so many times last season, probably the season before, where he just breezed past the defender and then just whack it out of play 
and, and not even test the goalkeeper. That has improved quite a bit this season. And I think he's he's now become a genuine threat rather than one where some of the better teams in the league might say, if he beats you, it's probably a less than 60 or 70% chance that he's going to score. Focus your attention on Benzema because his, his output rate is much higher. But on the other side of the coin, I would also agree with, with Alan and say that <clears throat> when you look at his arc of development, you look where he is right now, there is doubts over him getting to the really, really top echelons. Like I look at Fatty, who is who is younger than him, and I've no doubts that Fatty has absolutely every ingredient that he needs to become the best or one of the best strikers in the world. Whereas with Vinicius, there's been development, but I still think there's a bit of a gap between where he is and where he can go and the next level up, which is where Fatty is is probably destined to go. I think he'll have a, a part to play this weekend, um, but I think that might also be more based on Barcelona having injury issues at fullback. There's doubts over Alba on one side, and they're going to have to maybe shoehorn in a bit of a system on the other side with Serginio Dest and, and Sergio Roberto. So I think he'll have a part to play. I think he'll have an impact. But in terms of where he's going within his career, I think this now is about his level which would maybe leave him just a tiny bit short of the fatties and the Mbappes uh, uh, moving on. Yeah, there's uh, another player who's done a pretty good job of, of filling Messi's big shoes at Barcelona's Memphis Depay. Uh, Jamie, how impressed have you been by his Barca career so far? Yeah, I've really liked uh, Memphis. It's been a bit of a, a strange one for him. Obviously, he came in and sort of set the world alight pretty much instantly. Um, and he really looked like being that kind of superstar uh, replacement for Messi pre and Sufati return. Things have slowed down a little bit for him. We look at you know, you look at his I think he's got four goals in eight league games and still very decent return. He's just got this kind of kind of arrogance and uh, you know I don't want to make that sound like a bad thing, this positive kind of arrogance about him that he just goes about his game, um, kind of brushes off a noise and from the outside and uh, he's such a, a direct attacking talent and a very different player obviously from what we saw um, in the Premier League since he went to Leon, he did brilliantly there. I think he scored probably a goal on average every two games, which is a super a superb return. Um, and you can see why Barcelona signed him. You know, look at the kind of form he produced at Leon was just just brilliant, looked unstoppable. And and he's and he's looked that way in some games at Barcelona. Not all it has to be said, um, but you look at you have to look at Barcelona as a collective and they, especially attacking in the attacking sense. They've not been this this kind of functioning machine and that was shown against Dino Kiev in the week uh, so it's very difficult for a player like Memphis to to get the opportunities to do what he does best in a team like that but you know I think we, we will see uh, a very good player over the course of the season uh, and beyond that um, and like I say he has he has impressed me I do like the way he plays the way he drives at people and he'd be a more than useful asset for Coleman this season especially alongside Fatty I think when we see those two starting regularly, because obviously Fatty's been kind of phased back in, as you'd expect after a serious injury, um, a lot of games off the bench so far. Once we see those two starting regularly, once we see that kind of partnership develop more across the season, I think we'll really see the best of both Memphis and Fatty. Yeah, we, we seem to have lost Alan, so I'll throw this question to you, Fergal. Um, I was going to ask about Eduardo Camavinga, who was uh, probably the most coveted young player in Europe this season. I ended up joining Real Madrid just before the deadline. How has he done so far, would you say? I've been really impressed with him. And I think this idea that Real Madrid, as, as Jamie said before, have got this three, the three lads, Modric, Kroos and Casemiro, as have been the best midfield in the dec- in the last decade. They kind of took up the mantle from Busquets, Iniesta and, and Xavi and 
they are the first three names on the team sheet for the best part of the last 10 years. It takes somebody very, very special to upset, to break in, to kind of force Carlo Ancelotti to rotate and change things around. Eduardo Canvinga is is that player. Um, Real Madrid have been looking at him for a long time. Uh, he's only 18, but they've been looking at him since he was in his in his early teenage years. They actually tried to sign him um, quite a few times prior to being successful this summer in, in getting a deal done. I like the way he plays, and I think one of the big things that he adds to the Real Madrid midfield, as a little caveat to what I'm about to say, I wouldn't be 100% sure that he'll actually start this mm. weekend because Carlo Ancelotti in, in big games does tend to go with experience. And I think it will be the three guys. If he doesn't, or if he does bring Kamavinga on, Kamavinga offers something that has been kind of unmasked from missing from the Real Madrid midfield in the last couple of years. And we saw it in the Chelsea Champions League defeat last season. They will carousel the ball, arguably as good, if not better than anyone else in European football, but they don't have anyone now to break the lines, either with a pass forward or with looking to link with one of the others and break forward with the ball, break onto a through ball, whatever. Kamavinga offers that. Um, Modric is fantastic with him. I think he's obviously, we talked about mentors with Benzema and Vinicius. Modric is a fantastic mentor for, for Kamavinga because he's, he's been there, he's done it and, and worn the t-shirt. He owns the t-shirt, Luka Modric in that sense. Kamavinga is someone that is, is so good when the ball is given to him. He's Brilliant at driving past players, linking up, quick one-two, breaking forward, looking to create chances higher up the pitch. Um, and I think, sorry, if this game does start to get a bit fractured um, over the weekend and, and Ancelotti does want to roll the dice and look to maybe press on a few of the bruises that, that Barcelona have at the moment, Camavinga's perfect for that because he will look to get the other side of Busquets. He will look to draw out Pique and, and probably Eric Garcia and make them make decisions, put them in positions on the pitch where they're not comfortable. Um, and he's absolutely thriving in that. We mentioned Fatty before and how he's taken on the mantle of Messi's 10. It's it's so fantastic to see these young players coming to Real Madrid or, or coming through the ranks at Barcelona. And they're not bothered about the pressure. They're not listening to any of that. They are fearless. Give me the ball mm. in this situation. Give me the the responsibility in this big game because I want it. I want to prove this is how good I am. And, and Camavinga falls right into that box. I think there's been so much attention around other players and other deals, obviously, that were done on deadline day or close to deadline day that he almost kind of snuck in through the back door. But he's been excellent for Barcelona, uh, sorry, for Real Madrid so far. And it's inevitable long term planning as well. The three lads are not going to last forever. Modric, I think, is 36. Um, Kroos is probably going to be the next one to, to bow out and retire and step away from the club. They need to plan moving forward, and he's the first piece in the jigsaw for that. And I've been I've been super impressed with him so far this season. Yeah, uh, well, Barca have another young star who who's caught the eye this season, who goes by the name Gavi. Um, how good is is he right now, Alan? And, and how good do you think he could potentially be throughout the history of football, but especially in since the dawn of the kind of you know hypermedia age you could say where we really know the players coming through the youth system before um, they've even made their debut you could say there's kind of a there's an expectation attached to them that can be unfair and it can be misleading you know so and so is the next this the next that and it very rarely works out that way I mean you've exceptions but in, in, in generally it's quite difficult for young players to live up to that mantle but Gavi is really interesting for, for two reasons for me. I remember there was a piece in Dario Sports shortly after he made his debut for the club and basically saying that there's two faces to this guy. You know, There's the technical side, the way he can break the lines, he can take the game to opponents, he can, he can play the football. And then there's the aggression, the kind of, you know, the, the bites, the kind of, that bit of Marco Verratti in him, you could say, where he's not afraid to 
to pick up a yellow card. He's not afraid to make a siding challenge. He's not afraid to play anybody, really. He's, he's kind of fearless in that regard. And that's a massive thing for me because I think with young players, if a young player is making his debut in a top flight, top five league, then they're going to be very, very good technically. They have all the ability. But it's the mental side of the game that separates the, the elite from the elite of the elite, if that makes sense. And I think that Gavi is somebody, although it's a small sample size, he has that so far, at least, you know. I mean, I always look back to that semi-final performance against, semi-final performance against Italy for, um, for Spain in the Nations League uh, last week, two weeks ago. And there was two moments that struck out for me. Uh, one was where uh, Marco Verratti was trying to pull his shirt and pull him back. And Gavi just shrugged him off, basically beat him, uh, got away from him, no worries, for p- releasing the ball with a nice, kind of quick, clean pass. And Marco Verratti is his hero, is his idol since he's grown up, you know. So for him to go man to man, toe to toe with his idol and kind of show him that lack of, a healthy lack of respect, you could say, is a very positive thing. And the other was a moment in the second half, just a quiet moment where the ball had gone dead. And he starts picking up the ball and doing just keep yuppies. And he's doing these little flicks and tricks and juggling and that kind of thing. I thought it was remarkable. Like this guy is 17 years old. And he's only just 17 as well. Playing in the biggest game of his career. The biggest game of players who were on the pitch's career, you could say, as well. And he's just fearless. He doesn't care, you know. Um, I guess his, his sample size is very small so far. So it's hard to tell just how good he is and how important he'll be when Pedri comes back into the team, for instance. Whether he'll stay or whether he'll be moved out. Or whatever, but um, but yeah, so far he's a, he's one of the few bright spots you could say in this Barcelona team, and I'm very excited to see how he does against you know that, that as Jamie mentioned earlier that incredible midfield three of Tony Cruz, Luka Modric, and Casemiro, probably the best midfield three in, in world football over the last five or six years. Yeah, I'm interested to know now how the, how the two teams might set up defensively this weekend. Uh, firstly, Barca went with PK and, and Longley at centre back against Dynamo Kiev. Do you reckon it'll be the same again for this game, Jamie? Um, ah, it's just tough one to call. I wonder whether uh, Eric Garcia hasn't particularly impressed this season, um, but he has had plenty more game time. Um, I wonder whether with that freshness, a kind of that being in the rhythm of the season, whether he might just get the call up there. Um, uh, that probably gives him good opportunities. He was was suspended against Dynamo as well, just to say. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he, off against Benfica. Garcia was yeah. suspended. He, I think, he would have started otherwise. Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and um, Alejandro Balde will probably start on the left there with if if he already have misses out. He's he's uh, been a good deputy this season, the youngster there, and you probably see Sergio Roberto on the right. I would I would imagine. I'm not sure Oscar Mingueza will be put up against Vinicius Junior. That sounds like suicide to me. Yeah, is it not looking good for Alba then? Do we have to wait for Kuman's press conference to know what the situation is there? Um, it wasn't a good. He's a sprained foot. He did a sprained ankle. I think it was. Um, but he said he was in a quite a bit of pain after the game. Um, he wasn't sure what it was at that point. Uh, but we, I think, we were waiting to see whether he trains. They had a, the day off yesterday. Barcelona. The players met up for this for a sort of pre-classical dinner, um, and they're back in training today. So I think they're going to see how he is today. But it wasn't looking good at the at the last kind of review. And uh, Furlan Mondi made his comeback from injury for Real Madrid in midweek, played really well. Um, Fergal, do you reckon that means he'll keep his place? And, and who, are, who are they likely to go with in, in central defence? I think they'll probably stick with the same from the, the Shakhtar game. Militao and Alaba. I know Alaba has kind of flitted between left-back and centre-back so far this season, but I think the reason that he was brought in was to play centre-back 
kind of quote Ramos replacement, obviously, you know, going back to Alan's point about Messi before, you don't replace Ramos. You just find a different person to play in a different way. Militao has improved his levels of consistency. He's kind of come on a bit stronger in, in the last few weeks. Nacho is, is a possibility. It could be a toss of a coin between Nacho and Militao, who will partner Alaba. I think it probably will be Militao as it stands. Um, Lucas Vazquez is always, he's kind of just the, the club man, he's always there, he's always around, he always kind of plays in big games and Ancelotti trusts him, managers before have trusted him. Fellow Mendy I think is massive because <clears throat> Madrid have had issues there so far this season. Obviously Mendy's long-term injury, Marcelo's been injured for, for quite a long time. Miguel Gutierrez has played a bit of football there and looked good, Alaba has slotted in, but Fellow Mendy is, is such an unsung hero in this Real Madrid team. He's, he's absolutely brilliant. You speak to Real Madrid fans that are not fanatical and kind of make wild statements you speak to the Real Madrid fans that do exist that have some sensible opinions on football they're, they're massive fans of Ferlo Mendy because he's an absolutely perfect fullback really competent defensively sticks to his job keeps a strong defensive line can break forward if needed and, and link up in, in the higher um, fi- final third of the pitch if, if he's needed and I think against the Barcelona team that does have pace that will look to to get at Real Madrid if they get the opportunity his his input will be invaluable because based on the way that Barcelona can play um, Real Madrid could be in for a bit of a test in certain sections of this game and that was shown in midweek against Shakhtar he's only just come back into the team once Real Madrid were comfortable I think it was either 3 or 4-0 Ancelotti just called him get him off get him rested give him a half an hour break because I want to make sure he's fit for this weekend Mm. Well, one man who could have a, a big influence on the game this weekend doesn't play for Barcelona or Real Madrid. It's the referee. Uh, Jose Maria Sanchez Martinez has been selected for this game. Uh, Alan, is it right that he's the best referee in Spain? Uh, That's what I've heard. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I think you could say that, like, but I think <laughs> Jesus Gil Manzano is a very good referee for me. I like him a lot. Um, and then also there is the, uh, the famed... Oh, his name escapes and I'm drawing a blank. Um, oh, God. You can me out, guys. Yeah, of course, Mateo Lopez, yeah. Mr. Showtime, he's he's the most entertaining referee in Spain, to be honest, you know. But it doesn't really matter because whatever happens, there's going to be somebody wronged on Sunday. That's just the way it is, you know. <laughs> All right, well, we'll, uh, we'll finish with a, with a score prediction from you all now, please, guys. Uh, I'll, I'll throw that to you first, Jamie. Yeah, another another Real Madrid win for me. Um, we got three one to Los Blancos. Wow, Fergal. Uh, I don't really know why I'm saying this because the evidence doesn't really tip in that direction. But I'm actually going for Barcelona. Uh, Real Madrid have looked good, but they've looked kind of solid, if not spectacular. Um, and I just think this could be Kuman's job if he loses. So I don't think it'll be pretty. I don't think it'll be massively exciting. Maybe one nil, maybe two nil to Barcelona. But I think I think they are gonna they are gonna nick it. And for you, Alan. I'm going to say Madrid will go 2 0 up and then Kuman will shoot PK up front. PK will score and then Madrid will win 3 1 at the end. <laughs> so 3 1. 3 1 is my call. Amazing. <laughs> there we go. Uh, that will do us then, I think. Uh, yeah, br- pretty big weekend of football coming our way in Europe at least. We've got uh, El Clasico, Man United, Liverpool, Inter, Juventus in Italy, uh, PSG, Marseille in France. Uh, should be should be really exciting one. So stay tuned for that, everyone. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today, guys. It was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, real pleasure to have you on the show, and uh, let's do it again sometime. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. Sure thing. Thank you.